from the Innsmouth Book Club. Join me and my fellow guide, John Chadwick, as we take you on a fortnightly tour of Innsmouth. We visit places such as the Picture House, the Library and Innsmouth Museum to discuss all aspects of weird fiction, whether it be book, film, music, TV or art. As well as that, we stop over at the Gilman House to have a chat with a resident guest. That includes authors, artists, musicians, in fact, Lovecraftian creatives of all types. You can find our free shows on Patreon, and there you can also sign up as a patron, which brings you bonus content, plus a monthly PDF copy of Innsmouth News, which features articles, author spotlights, all the latest news and reviews, and more. You can find us at patreon.com forward slash Innsmouth BC. We hope to see you soon because remember, Innsmouth isn't just a place, it's a state of mind. This episode is brought to you by Donner. Check out the show notes to find a good deal at Donner. Like the sound of this? This is the Donner Island Delay and the really cool Donner LP that I've shown off on like Instagram check it out. Uh, they've got some really good summer deals, and check out their snap deals as well. Use the link in the show notes to help support the show. Get yourself some cool musical instruments, maybe some patch chords. Cool. This episode is brought to you by California Tea House. California Tea House is a family-owned tea store where you can find some of the world's best loose-leaf tea and organic herbal tea blends. Like a fine wine, there is no comparison between Find loose leaf and common broken leaf tea bags. So, yeah, no, check them out. Check them out. They have quite a bit of pretty awesome tea collections. I'm a huge fan of their white teas. Uh, they have a tea club that you can join, but, you know, they've got green tea, black tea, white tea, oolong, that uh, robios and herbal tea. They've also got teaware. So check out California Tea House in the show notes. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio. Greetings, listeners. It is I, T.B. Spitzer in Farmer Days, here once again to talk to you about the Cthulhu Mythos, its books, its monsters, its unfortunate human casualties, its timeline in general, and even its tangential bits, like the dreamlands or things of a weird nature that are Lovecraftian leanings. Once more we head into those dark woods, further feeling those malevolent forces upon us. Once again we walk down the lightless stone staircase in the middle of nowhere. You're listening to KZON. Hello, everyone. Welcome once again to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. I'm just walking uh, back to my Portland house, which, you know, we rent out most of it. But um, I, I, I do have the, 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 the old studio, the old Portland studio that I can uh, record in. So, Dave, how the heck is it? Uh, you're back in Oleander. I'm still in Portland. Uh, convention just finished. We had a, a, like, the earliest slot you can get, which isn't the best, but heck, any slot is, um, 
pretty cool when it comes to Rose City Comic Con, in my opinion. Rose City Comic Con, my second favorite Portland uh, comic book convention. The one that I grew up with no longer exists, but it was my childhood convention where no one dressed up. It was just people sorting through long boxes, arguing about D&D and uh, comic books. And uh, this all happened in the basement of the uh, Portland Memorial Coliseum, home of your Portland Trailblazers. Um, so, yeah. Dave, anything you have to say about the uh, Rose City Comic Con? Uh, you, you were there for a number of days, I believe. Yes, I was, because if they give me a free ticket, I'm going to get my usage out of it, dang it. Good, good, good. I pretty much just showed up for the panel and took off. <laughs> You're mysterious that way. I am mysterious that way. Uh, my uh, partner says it's because I'm too cool for school. And I'm like, no. I have not seen you in school. I, I, uh, yeah, true. yeah. Yeah, no. I mean, most people never saw me in school because I was hanging out with the uh, um, local equivalent of the Sweat Hogs. Uh, yes, I thought it was way cooler to be part of remedial stuff and then just do whatever you wanted. And then I got into like middle school or like late middle school, and I'm like, oh, so I'm gonna have to like work really, really, really hard to get into the classes I want to get into high school because of the fact that I've been... Oh, man, that sucks. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. What we are talking about is Portland Comic Con. We had a panel with Derek M. Cook, who showed up a little late, but he was there and answered some questions. And Scott, is it, is it Scott Earls? Oh. Earls, okay. Oh. Yeah. No, Scott was there, and we've had Scott on the show multiple times. Mr. I want to call him Mr. Uh, Post-Apocalyptia, uh, Scott there. And you, you know Derek. Derek's Monster Kid Radio. So The award-winning Monster yeah, Kid Radio. Yeah, award-winning Monster Kid Radio. Uh, we're just award-nominated uh, People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. And welcome you all once again. So, um, Dave, how was the panel in your opinion? What did you think? So I think it was very good, and, and I got some feedback. Yeah. And there were a couple of people there that were not were more comic book people, uh-huh. or came because they were my friends. Sure. Uh, and they said that they they didn't know a lot about the mythos, but that it kept them entertained. That they didn't drift off any, and got really high compliments about the chemistry. Of those on the panel, that we seemed to work well, that oh, we yeah. knew our stuff, and yeah. we knew what each other knew. So I, I <laughs> yeah. heard the feedback I got uh, was pretty good. Nobody, uh-huh. you know, put pins in the back of the Farmer Dave voodoo dolls. Well, that's good. That's good. Sorry, you want to cut this off. Somebody had to put bring something into my room. No problem. No problem. But so yeah, it was. I think it was, you know, I think it was positive. Um, so you're right. It was on Sunday, and Sunday in general is good and bad. Yeah. Uh, you don't really have a lot of competition. Oh, there's uh, a dog. Sorry, there's people. a dog in the graveyard. <laughs> I hope he doesn't try and dig up any bones. Uh, okay. Oh wait a minute. I'm recording it at home. I'm sorry. I'm so used to, or I'm recording at the other. 
Anyway, I'm so yeah, used you to. Do you have a graveyard in your, your house? No, my okay. The Portland house does not have a graveyard, so I was kind of confused about like, why is there a dog barking? And then Emily realized, oh, that's Mister Chen next door. He has he has a uh, uh, a couple of dogs that protect his squash from uh, squash wrestlers. So yeah. Yes. So I think I was talking about on so Sunday is a good in a lot of ways. Uh huh. Um, and but. There's less people usually, yeah. But the people there are more. They're interested in the subject matter, yeah. But it was the first time I've ever done it. it. Literally, and it literally started. The doors open. Yeah, so they I didn't realize that. And and that was just sort of strange, in some ways. But I I think later in the day, even like. 30 minutes we would have got a lot more people because there was yeah. a lot of parking snafus at that time and people oh, yeah. struggling to get in at that time but mm-hmm. um, you know it was what it was I think it was a well put present presentation yeah I think our job was to warm the seats for the people who came in at 11 <laughs> you know give a chance uh, for the lights to warm up, up and uh, yeah no I, I, I noticed though that we had some repeat people from last year, and to all those people who showed up, awesome! That's super great. I'm, I'm super glad that that. I mean, there was a couple faces that I recognized from last year, and also from HP Lovecraft Film Festival. So that was super cool to see y'all there, and I know there was a lot of comic book people, and. Uh, the one thing I was bummed out about is no one clapped and I was like, Starro, my guy, Starro. And everyone's like, yeah, we know. There's not a lot of Starro fans. Not a lot of Starro fans. And I'm like, come on, Silver Age comics. That's where, like, all the sorcerers come from and all the... Anyway. And the flying alien mind-controlling starfish. Mm-hmm. And weirdo stuff, because they couldn't do um, horror or violence and anyway we don't need to talk about seduction of the innocents and uh anyway yeah so so i yeah we won't get off on that but i have this really sort of different opinion on seduction of the innocents that it was basically misunderstood and maybe i'll do a presentation on this i actually have like way back in dave's underground goat uh goat shenanigans where I, i talk about that that you know Nobody understood what he was trying to say. Sure, sure, yeah, yeah. It got politicized. All he was asking was that people, parents, read the comic books first, and then let the the parent decide if they think it's appropriate for their children. Yeah, but and there was all a... of a sudden he became the the poster boy for book burning. Which, oh yeah, that's but besides the point, there was a lot of kind of like pre-satanic panic, kind of like yeah. horror. Equal, you know, comic books equal violence and um, sexual promiscuity and homosexualism and like everything else that uh, video games. Uh, shoot, I don't think video games are blamed uh, for sexual deviancy of any sort these days. But oh man, I mean, like comic books got blamed for everything. And, and speaking of that, sort of on the panel, something that I learn and and scott was a sort of our uh manga expert Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and and i i understood from a historical point of view but he brought in that the um 1995 
Ocean Riki attacks in Japan, uh-huh. where uh-huh. I mean, very tragic, cold attack where over a hundred people died and yeah. thousands of people were put in the hospital. That that took a really sharp turn on what they published in the comic books, and yeah. the, the sort of Lovecraftian angle of occultists because cults were a real thing. They were a real dangerous thing. There are pe- were people at that time on trial and would be executed for killing people for their cult. Yeah. And so for a while, they backed off the Lovecraftian cultist elements uh, because of that. And it slowly after you know time, it sort of came back. And, and I'm just not enough into non-cyberpunk manga to, to yeah. have not known that. Uh, and I was really glad Scott brought that up. Yeah, no, that was really cool. I, I've actually heard uh, former guests on the show, uh, Jeremy Clark Rescorla, talk about living in that neighborhood and, like, the fallout of all that and, oh, like, wow. um, the sarin attacks. And, like, uh, he had a girlfriend at the time in college who actually, like, not lived through the sarin attacks, but, like, lived in that part of Tokyo and I can't remember the name of it right now but like um yeah no JC he lived like really close and he lived in the area and it was like rent was really cheap at one point in time and no one would tell him why and then he talked to other like uh English speaking uh Japanese teachers or um Japanese speaking English teachers you know he was speaking to uh uh, native English speaking teachers in Japan and some Australian guys told him I, 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 if I talk to him he's going to be like that's not what happened it was this but some Australian people I think uh, told him about how uh, everything with that group had happened in their neighborhood mm. like just like two three years prior and he was, or actually, no, it would have been like 2000. So it would have been like six years ago, this stuff went down. He's like, oh, wow, that's like so cyberpunk. And they yeah. did not enjoy the fact that he was like, that's crazy cool, but also terrifying. So. <laughs> so is there anything that maybe you learned or really thought that maybe we should share with the, the people who we're not able to be in Portland or we're not able to make it to our show because they don't wake up till 10 or... Oh, what I learned is more of our friends and fans need to wake up before 10 (laughs) and go to Portland and uh, watch what we've got going on. And, you know, no, we're not going to be on a panel around 10 at uh, the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival because I don't think the doors open until like 11 or something, but I could be wrong. Um, and generally early morning stuff at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival is kind of like hanging out with authors and eating donuts and drinking coffee or Cthulhu prayer breakfast or any of that kind of fun stuff. But, um, yeah, the the comic book thing, I just think that was kind of weird that they had stuff that early. I was... I was wondering why I wasn't allowed to go anywhere. And they're like, oh, no, you don't have the right pass to get here, get in this door. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right, what's going on here? And they're like, oh, we're just setting up right now. And I'm like, oh, cool, awesome. Well, peace be with you, and I'll talk to you later. 
uh, you know, and just being like, ah, why is there only one coffee place open? This is dumb. <laughs> and not realizing that nothing had opened yet and everyone who was there were people who were doing their best at the Rose City Comic Con to get everything set up, people getting all their costumes set up, which was a lot of fun, and just seeing how much work goes into cosplay, yeah. and how, like, you know, there were people who had these elaborate outfits, and then someone who had, like, a sign that said cosplay mom repair kit, and then it was like the mom with all the pens and all the glue gun stuff, yeah. and it was it was fun. I I had a lot of fun seeing that kind of thing, because I grew up in the era of comic book conventions were just tables of long boxes. You paid thirty bucks for a table, twenty five to thirty bucks, thirty for like a good table, and you could pay twenty bucks for like a crummy table. But it was like anyway. Um, we should get a table at one of these conventions, Dave, and um, just put a bunch of QR codes on the table, and then people go, what do you sell? And we're like, QR codes. And they scan it with their phone, and it goes to uh, our stores, our various stores where we sell all of our T-shirts and, uh, I don't know, uh, coffees like Copper Cow. Anyway, enough advertising. Okay. We will... We'll, we'll, we'll discuss that one. Oh, yeah. All right. So, anything you want to talk about, uh, Rose City Comic Con, before we uh, well, rise I, above? I think it was sort of interesting that everybody kind of had a different version of how they experienced Cthulhu in comics and oh, Mythos yeah. in comics. Oh, yeah. And there were some like me that came from the Mythos background. And then after I got a chance to, you know, graduated college and I had like my own money to spend I started getting into comic books. Sure, yeah. Where other people got went the other way around and the comic books brought them into the mythos. I, I feel like I was the only person who's like, yeah, I grew up loving the Cthulhu mythos and comic books and when I saw them together for the first time I was like, Hallelujah, Sathagwa, this is amazing. But I mean, not everyone um, you know, grew up kind of doing their own thing like latchkey kid in a city. So I had a lot of uh, time to read and do my own thing and thing my own do with uh, Cthulhu and comic books. So, I mean, the only thing that could have been better than TMNT and the Cthulhu mythos and Isaac Asimov jokes would have been um, X-Men, the Cthulhu mythos, and Dune jokes, but no one's done that yet, so, yeah. hey. And just because it is sort of a, a deep dive, there were, in the 90s, a six-episode where Wolverine fought Abdul al-Hazarad. I know, I've been told about this. I've been told about this, and that's always fun. And um, whenever anyone tells, about, tells me about that, I'm like, oh, yeah, I know that Batman villain, and then I have to remember that I always can fuse the writer of the Necronomicon with the demon's head, so there we go. <laughs> which, which, you're not, I wouldn't say confused, but Mike Magnolia, who is the writer of Hellboy, Hellboy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, pretty much combines the two in the doom that came to uh, Gotham. That's crazy. That's fun. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I like that so much. Um, 
But yeah, I, I, I like Batman and I like Hellboy. And Mike Mignola, not only is he a super nice guy who I've met at the H.P. Lovecraft Film Festival and at really, really, really old, long time ago, back before uh, Hellboy was like a household name, I met him at uh, the Dark Horse comic booth at the uh, old comic book uh, that wasn't Rose City Comic Con, but I, I don't even remember what it was called. Anyway, I don't even know if that exists anymore, but yeah, it was a collector's thing, and uh, Dark Horse had a booth where uh, they would sign your Aliens versus Predator and your... Uh, a real alien and real predator would sign it? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They had real aliens and no. No, uh, the, the writers and illustrators and editors, they'd all be there, and... Uh, I you had I, me going for a moment. I know, I know, but you, you would you'd meet people who worked for Dark Horse at this thing, and they'd... Uh, they weren't like... I mean, they, they were selling comics and stuff, but they were also signing it. I mean, this is like 1987, 19... 93 Dark Horse comics. Uh, it's like the period of time that I was going to this convention. And yeah, no, I met a lot of really cool people who worked on a really a lot of really cool stuff. I asked them questions about like, oh, hey, what do you recommend? Um, you know, in your comics. It's funny, I happen to have written this too that I'm recommending. Yeah. Well, not necessarily that. It's like, hey, uh, what comic books do you like in like the vein of like Batman or X-Men? Or what kind of stuff should I look for? Because um, I like all this stuff at Dark Horse, and I kind of, you know, get an idea of what I'm digging. But what else should I dig? And they're like, oh, yeah, have you read H.P. Lovecraft? And I'm like, yeah, I know H.P. Lovecraft. That stuff's cool. And they're like, oh, you should read this. Or oh, you should watch this movie. And I'm like, oh, I've seen this alien movie, and I've seen this Predator, and I've seen these Predator movies, but I haven't seen, like, the original Alien. And they're like, you've got to watch the original Alien, you dumb 11-year-old. <laughs> yeah, that's supposed to watch probably the scariest movie made in late 1970s when you're 11 years old. Oh, yeah. No, I don't think I saw Alien until I was, like, 15. Uh, yeah, no. <laughs> I, honestly, I was in college. I read the book. I yeah. read the novelization much earlier, but I don't think I actually watched it until I was in college. Yeah, but old old school uh, comic book conventions versus new school are two totally, it's apples and oranges. But it was really kind of neat seeing like people walking around and occasionally I'd recognize what someone was and I'd be like, oh, cool, that's this. Or, oh, they're making a joke with that and this. And, you know, it'd be fun. And I wandered around for a little bit and then I'm like, all right, uh, my feet hurt. I forgot to wear socks with uh, these canvas boat shoes or deck shoes. I'm going home and I only had to take one train. So it was nice. Ooh, nice. Yeah. Anyway, uh, Dave, uh, how was your weekend at the comic book convention? So it was very good. It, it, it was busy. Uh, I, like I said, a lot more, and I don't mean this necessarily in a bad thing, not uh -huh. just as things change. I think it was a lot more commercial, a lot less um, indie artists. But, you know, that's just, uh -huh. Uh -huh. I think that's just the trend that everything's going now with because of San Diego. Yeah, yeah, no, I saw an NBC thing there, and I was like, uh, 
turned around and walked away. But um, yeah, no, continue, continue. Well, and um, that's I mean, it was very good. I did get some some new books. I did get to talk to some some authors, and uh, I like you know it, it's it's a nice break, and it's uh, obvious. I mean probably the most amount of people that I've been in a room with or an area with in the last year. But sure, and like yeah. I say, everybody was pretty much well masked. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So, um, so, and, you know, sometimes you just physically cannot control just how close you are to people. But uh, I think that people were pretty respective. Oh, yeah. You know, considering you got, what, 12,000 people in a uh, small area. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, yeah, no, I had, uh, the beer garden after thing for PGTTCM and I met people who weren't able to go to the show and, but also, you know, I texted stuff and, uh, sent stuff out. And so we had a few people show up there. Uh, we ninged about having to drink $10 beer and all agreed that it was better to like maybe have a parking lot thing next year for PGTTCM so that, you know, the people who love PGTTCM can stand outside and not have to pay $10 a beer. I don't know, but hey, um, we could sell goat milk. We could sell goat milk. Uh, or, you know, if, if you're like Wong, uh, like, Yak milk and vodka? How's, how's goat milk and vodka? I don't know. We could find out. Uh, but if you're not about alcohol or anything like that, that's totally cool. We'll figure something out. Anyway, but that's more of a H.P. Uh, Lovecraft uh, film festival kind of situation there where we can all hang out and do what we want to do and not have to worry about $10 beers and $12 glasses of wine. Unless you know that, who I, I blame ten dollars uh, glass of beers to on? Uh, the Coliseum. Narlahotep. Narlahotep. Gotcha, gotcha. I was, I was, I was like the Coliseum. It's like no, that's not where it's at. It's at the uh, convention center, and convention I just think center. the convention center has really high prices because they have like something like this. I don't know what their overhead is on it, but they've got a lot of people and. I don't know what the breakage and the overhead and all that kind of fun stuff is, but it does kind of make sense to be like, all right, let's charge $10 a beer and that'll like maybe discourage underage drinkers from trying to sneak in into the beer garden or I don't know. I, I am really not sure, but it was just kind of like, oh, Ninkasi Lager, $10. All right. Okay. Well, here I am. Rock you like a hurricane, everyone. Uh, yeah. I no. understood what ten dollars meant, but what's that? I'm not a beer person or an alcohol person, so I understood what ten dollars meant, but I didn't get the other parts. Yeah. 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 No. No. And it's like I feel so old when I pay like ten dollars for a beer, and other people are like, "Yeah, that's like festival prices, dude." And I'm like, back in my day, we used to pay $5 for a beer. And we saw the presidents of the United States of America. And, and we saw we, we saw Nirvana and Sonic Youth on the same bills. Do you know how much I paid for those beers? 
250. I had a I had a fake ID. It was amazing. Anyway. <laughs> but yeah, no. No. Um enough of us talking about beer and festivals. Uh we have some other stuff to talk about. So, Dave, what what do we got going on the show first today? So we are talking about two of the masks of Narlahotep, or Narlothotep. Yeah. Yeah, I think we're talking about some sort of wind and the bloated woman. We're talking about the black wind, or... Yeah, black wind. The black wind and the, the bloated woman, both of which were created for the... Magnus Opus, which is the Chaosium scenario, uh, the Mask of Narlotep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as such, I'm about a third through that game, and I have not encountered the cults or the followings of these these avatars or these aspects. Oh, sure. And so I was very careful in my research not to get any spoilers. You bet. You bet. Uh, okay. But one thing where I did kind of notice is that Final Fantasy, or it's not Final Fantasy, but Fantasy Flight, uh-huh. which does the um, Arkham Horror game, yeah. it, create, it actually has a card for the Black Wind. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's nice to see sort of these ideas and creatures go from one game to another. Sure, yeah, 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 no, definitely. Definitely. The Fantasy Flight games, I feel, do a really good job of kind of covering, like, if you took the Cthulhu Mythos Encyclopedia or all the past episodes of People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos, squished them up and smeared them across a tabletop game, but yeah. And again, so what I do get from the understanding is that they are both very cult centered aspects. Yeah. yeah. Which makes sense for the game where you're not really dealing often with directly with, you know, mythos. You're you're dealing with their cultist. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. And, uh, you know, as the uh, Sandy Peterson onion theory goes, like the more layers of the onion, you have to get pretty darn close to the center of the onion before you start dealing with the bloated woman or the black wind. You know, first you're just dealing with, like, random deaths that don't seem kind of like, you know, random violence, um, random deaths that don't seem connected to anything uh, but then you f- uh, find out that if you go to the next city over or, you know, it's, it's, it, it becomes kind of like the onion starts to tighten and then it's cults. And then it's all these business connected to these cults and all these fancy business owners then. And they all are part of this upper echelon of a cult who worship some. And then, you know, it's, it's, that's, that's like kind of like the classic cult of Narlethotep. Or it's kind of like, um, well, we don't have to talk about what the other types like because that's what we're talking about here is kind of like the uh, I don't know the concept of the fact that a cult 
isn't you don't see them right away. You kind of see like the aftermath of them or their uh, but, but the invisible hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you you see where their hand is led and where things have happened, but you don't see the cult directly and then it takes a bit and then by the time you do see the cult, you're dealing with some sort of like great black storm that can be controlled and destroys houses or some sort of huge obese woman who can hide things about her personality with a mystic fan and you don't know that something's wrong until you notice that something's wrong so that's me being as uh spoiler free not just to you dave but to other people as well i tried to be as spoiler free as possible uh so well, thank you yeah you're welcome you're welcome and everyone uh go play masks of narlethotep or or do something that I like to do before, like, a year or two before I actually uh, roll out the red carpet for a massive campaign. Buy it as a book and read it cover to cover. Think about how your players would react to it, the kind of things that you would change to it. Download the PDF of uh, Masks of Narlethotep. Find as much, like, uh, errata that other people have developed for it because... It's, it's kind of like how some video games or some RPGs, like, by themselves, are perfectly great. But it's like, you can buy extra stuff that makes it a little bit extra. You can buy things that add a bit of tangibility or a little bit of spice. Uh, also, I highly recommend listening to other people play masks of narlethotep before you if you're gonna run, run it. it not if you're gonna play it. not if you're gonna play it if you're gonna play it stay away from that stuff and plug your ears when we talk about it so one of the other form that we're kind of talking about which is also as near as i can tell originally from that adventure yeah is the bloated woman yes and so yes. i had seen versions of the bloated woman and different you know uh, monster companions uh -huh. so i knew I didn't realize until actually just double-checking that this is where it comes from, the game, because I'm yeah. not that yeah. that far. But the thing that reminds me the most is of... So it's, it's basically an obese, sort of vaguely hum, humanoid woman with large tentacle, sticky arms. But what sort of reminded me was um, of the, the Venus statues. Okay. which are found out throughout Europe. They're Paleolithic, usually, you know, 20 to 23,000 years old, where they are um, totems or uh, artifacts. They tend to be bloated women with large breasts without often arms or feet. And if it has a head, it usually has no face, no face details. Sure, yeah. And this is going to be found out pretty much all of Europe. And it's going to be in places like Morocco. Uh -huh. um, and they're going to be made from things like mammoth ivory uh, to limestone, uh, quartzite. And so it definitely seemed to be at least an artifact of the 
premier belief system in Paleolithic Europe. Sure. And, yeah. you know, it seems to me that Nerovatep would be tormenting these poor cavemen, for lack of a better word, as yeah. much as he would us. And I, I'm sure in the game, obviously, there's modern versions, I believe there's modern cults, but, you know. But, you know, if he's got a form that that deals with the Migo, yeah. wouldn't he have a form and, and he's all, that's dealt with our ancestors? Especially since a lot of we see sort of the psyche of ancestors uh, coming back in things like uh, Rats in the Wall. Yeah, yeah. Where, where there's this, and I think this was a very popular idea in the 20s, this sort of communal memory. Sure, yeah. The ancestral memory that we draw on. And he sort of reaches out to us, again, not knowing how he appears in the game, through this belief system into our ancestral memory and makes us eat people helping re uh, uh, renovating our houses. Yeah, yeah. Spo spoiler for a 100-year-old book. <laughs> but, um, and, and I just, yeah, so I... I I, I like the idea that all of the masks, the thousand masks of Narlahotep, the thousand faces, they're not all set up for, you know, American in 1920 beyond. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But they no. existed for since the world was created, since the Shoggoths, you know, mutated and became human beings. Well, we don't even know if Narlethotep is even like if the, if the masks like there might be a mask for the Sean, uh, there might be a mask for the Migo, there might be a mask for like um, races we're not like. Do the Yithians have a mask that they had to deal with? Did the uh, uh, Elder Things have a mask uh, that they had to deal with? Like humanity has had a mask that they've had to deal with multiple cultures, but we're not the only culture that's existed on Earth, and the Cthulhu Mythos has pretty much stated the fact that there is more life out there, and Narlathotep is a messenger for Azathoth. So it makes sense that anyone who is worshipping Azathoth, Shopnagurith, even Yogg-Sothoth, uh, is, is going to have to deal with Narlathotep at some time, that culture. Not necessarily every person but it's it's like i feel like what if we have stories or, or what if we haven't discovered stories of the you know the reasons the elder things abandoned antarctica was the fact that um there was this uh black skinned like ivory black uh, elder thing who convinced the Shagas that they could do more than just be construction equipment and they could think more about just being productive. And, and, and what if he took the appearance of another Shagas? Oh yeah, yeah. Something that the would appeal and lead to the Shagas. And maybe the Shagas that we see in uh, at the Mountains of Madness is an uh, aspect of Narlethotep and Shoggoths aren't nearly as big or completely jet black with green eyes as it's yeah. described. And it's it's like, I, I, I don't feel like 
that shocketh and what we hear about in uh, Shadow over Innsmouth are is worrisome. And also, or, or possibly even, like, uh, the avatar of Narlethotep is what someone saw when they were flying away that made him so he peed his pants and never spoke again. Yeah, and, and again, spoiler for an 80-year-old novella. Yeah, that has, like, misses, missing pieces where they don't really talk about some things, but yeah. Yeah, and, and at the end, that's like, so when I read Mountains of Madness, my yeah. thought was that the, the scientists were freaking out because, I mean, they'd already seen the Shoggoth. They knew it was yeah. real. But the, the Shoggoth could fly and was not imprisoned in Antarctica. Yeah. That's what I thought created the fear. But talking to people, I'm kind of in the minority of that. Okay. I mean, to me, that's what love. So a lot of people believe that it was a form of. Narlotep uh-huh. that they see when the plane's leaving. Yeah, and, and so you know, I think a lot of people in their mind think it's the image of, and one we'll probably definitely talk about. You know, the the most common linked image is you know the god of the bloody tongue. Yeah, which is probably other than like someone dressed like a pharaoh is what Narlotep is most seen as. Sure. But that form didn't exist until the Mask of Narlotep. Yeah. So it's obviously, I mean, it was obviously not what Lovecraft was thinking. Oh, yeah. But so, but a lot of people do feel it was a form, and maybe it was a, a Shoggothian form. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying is, is some massive Shoggoth that it's like, oh, shoot, we can't ever come back here, and I hope nothing ever happens where it can get to us, but... I mean, those words aren't said, and I don't know. I, I, I agree. Yeah. yeah. I think we've covered enough Narlet. Well, right this time, right now, uh, not David Heath, but I don't know, game designer, writer, all around amazing person, uh, Adam Scott Glancy. Scott, how the heck are you doing this week? I'm doing pretty good. Good, good. Happy good. birthday yesterday. Thank you. Thank you very much. Um, I got a dead monarch for my birthday, yeah. uh, which I have to admit was not what I asked for uh, at all. Um, I, I was happy to see Steve, Steve Bannon in cuffs again. That was lovely. Yeah, yeah. Um, that was kind of a nice <laughs> gift. Um, but the, um, the birthday gift I always have to go back to is the very first one I got on my very first birthday, the day I was born. Yeah. September the 8th, 1966 was the day that Star Trek premiered on NBC. Oh, cool, yeah. First regular uh, regular episode drop with the episode The Man Trap. Okay. So uh, I got my first taste. I got Star Trek right out of the gate. <laughs> uh, as soon as I was born, Star Trek was a thing. And um, there have been times when I, uh, I would end up my favorite uh, game store mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. Uh, Orlando, a place that is gone now. It used to be called... Do you believe this? The name of the store was Enterprise 1701. <laughs> That's nice. And it was run by a guy named Frank Dollar. He he uh, he had quite the little empire there. He sold his stores eventually to a, a chain uh, called Sci-Fi City. Uh-huh. But um, for a while there, he was he was quite the big dog in Florida as far as all the gaming stuff goes because he was right there next to the uh, Orlando Naval Base. There was, a, there was a Navy base in the middle of Orlando. Okay. Uh, a Navy base, you know, completely inland. 
Yeah. And it was the, it turns out it was the where they trained, and they shut it down now. But at the time, it was where they trained in the 70s and 80s, and well, the 90s. They trained uh, the uh, non commissioned officers who worked nuclear tech. Oh, yeah, baby nukes. My dad was one. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> they trained them in Orlando uh, in that time period. So what you had. And his store was literally, you look out the front doors at one point, like his, like his third location was uh-huh. right there. You could look across and see the fence around the, the, around the Naval Training Center. And so it was all uh, nerds, uh, you know, across the street. I mean, it was just, you know, nerds as far as the eye could see in their <laughs> dress whites. And they were in there. They were in there with their dress whites, sure, and, sure, yeah. uh, buying everything that wasn't nailed down. So, you know, it was a good thing for Frank. Okay. Um, having that store right there. Uh, but, uh, yeah, Enterprise 1701 was there. And when the 25th anniversary of uh, Star Trek rolled around, yeah. I, I wandered in the store and it was like, okay, the store is named Enterprise 1701. And it was and Star Trek premiered 25 years ago today. And so did I. I demand 25% off every <laughs> Star Trek product in the store. And and Frank was like, looked at my driver's license, like, yeah, okay, that tracks. <laughs> 25% off all Star Trek related materials. Get in there. I think I bought a bunch of old FASA books that were out of print. Nice. Uh, from the bargain bin from their from the old um, from their old Star Trek role playing game. Sure, sure, yeah. Um, but anyways, yes, that was that's the birthday. Uh, it does match up with that. So now I've got uh, Queen Elizabeth dies, the end of her 70 years on the throne, and the day Star Trek premiered is all wrapped up in there. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, and yeah. Uh, and once again, sadly, it's not the first time Steve Bannon is in cuffs. It's the yeah. second time, but this one might actually stick. Yeah, yeah. It, it, it doesn't look good. But, you know, especially since you got to wonder, he, sca- he had two co-conspirators in the federal charges. Yeah. They went to prison. He got pardoned by Trump. Yeah. You got to know they're a little pissed. Yeah. You gotta know that somewhere they're like, would you like to hear about Steve? I mean, you know, they they might be in a position where they're gonna end up making the state of New York's case for them because, gee, you know, <laughs> I noticed it wasn't three pardons that got handed out. That that would uh, not make friends. You know yeah. what I mean? That is not yeah. the way to make friends <laughs> down on D Block at, at uh, Rikers Island. And I think someone should warn Steve about that before he shorts somebody on a on a on a cigarette transaction you know what i mean um i do i don't think that uh i don't think that that will go well for him yeah uh, with the folks down there i think they might have a different sense of how they sort out their differences but you know again couldn't happen to a nicer uh fascist hobo so. oh yeah yeah fuck that guy um so speaking of fascist hobos <laughs> yeah. our topic for today yeah, we're talking about Narlethotep. Yep. Um, I don't know yes. if... I don't know, there could be an avatar that's a fascist hobo, but... Well, you know, <laughs> it, it, again, you know, it, it depends on where you look. I mean... Sure. <laughs> I'll admit that uh, Delta Green did cast... The, did cast Narlethotep as Der Fuhrer. Yeah, yeah. Where the Nazi... Old Nazis left over from World War II think they're communing with Hitler's dead spirit the same yeah. way... Um, Heinrich Himmler thought he could do seances at Velvetsburg Castle and whistle sure. up yeah. the uh, the ghosts of, uh, of various uh, 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 
German kings. Yes. <laughs> so, um, you know, we, we had our Nazis thinking that they're talking to Hitler, and really they're just talking to Narlathotep uh, with, a, with, a new, with a new mask on, again, telling them all the wrong things, um, and eventually molding them from uh, National Socialists into just another Narlathotep cult. Yeah. I mean, whatever they thought they're starting with, you know, you end up being a Narlathotep cultist. Uh, however, he however he decides you to bring you <laughs> into the fold, which is kind of the whole point of, I guess, of the the masks as they have been put. Yeah, um, yeah. I'm not really sure off the top of my head where the concept of masks of Narlathotep comes from. It might be Larry Dottillo. Yeah, yeah. Might I... be Lynn Willis for their for their uh, groundbreaking Call of Cthulhu campaign because I'm not really sure. I remember it from Lovecraft's fiction. Lovecraft has Nalathotep show up in different forms. Sure, yeah. I cannot yeah. remember if it's in Dream Quest, The Unknown Kadath, or oh, where yeah. it is that he might actually apply the term masks to the various avatars of Nalathotep. Uh, yeah, yeah. Or Nalathotep. Yeah. We're trying to pronounce the Egyptian part correctly, and that's Hotep, not Thotep. So yeah. Nalathotep. Hotep. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Um it's it's uh it's it's interesting stuff. Uh, appeared in multiple of Lovecraft's work. As you said, I do believe uh Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath uh is where the term masks is first used, but yeah. I could be wrong. Yeah. yeah. I um I don't remember it in I mean I don't remember it in the in the, in the it's not in the poems. Sure. It's not in the poem, it's not in the super short story. Yeah. I don't remember it in uh, Dreams in the Witch House when yeah. Narlat Hotep uh, appears as uh, the black man from mm -hmm. The Witch's Sabbath and really yeah. does a sort of a um, a pretty solid impersonation of uh, something somewhere between uh, Metastopheles and possibly the horned man from Celtic uh, religious uh, beliefs. Yeah. Um, the Haunter of the Dark, for, uh, I don't remember it being used in that. Although, and, and that's one of the things that I'm going to say that a lot of people, when they take on Narlathotep, mm -hmm. well, first of all, Lovecraft does. The majority of his stuff uh, that Narlathotep turns up, uh, Narlathotep is, uh, Hotep is, is very much the antithesis of everything he's previously presented in the so-called mythos, or the, mm -hmm. the Yogg-Sothery, as he called it. Um, it is um, where the other elder gods are blind idiot uh, Azathoth, who is all powerful but mm -hmm. cannot has no direction, yeah. has no um, purpose, meaning, uh, but is just just unfettered power. And um, uh, uh, Shubnigaroth is uh, just merely um, uh, sort of. Uh, yeah, chaos, yeah, chaotic uh, fecundity, you know, unleashed with no boundaries and sure. borders, you know, and uh, breeding and reproducing until you run out of room, you know, and piled on top of each other. Uh, and Young uh, Sathoth is the, is as the key in the gate, is the guy or the entity that wrecks all time space, uh -huh. you know, um, by uh, folding, spindling, and mutilating it. Um, mm. Uh, in order to uh, have all points of the universe touch and cross at once. Yeah. Um, these entities don't get a lot of um, 
you don't get a lot of personality mm-hmm. uh, attributed to them, um, and they certainly don't demonstrate a lot of it. Um, even the worshippers of Yog Sothoth in the uh, Dunwichar mm-hmm. do a lot of blah blah blah. The you know, oh, was it what was all blah 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 about yeah. what uh, what Yagathoth's gonna do for me? But I'm just like, you sure did? Did you get that in writing? Because I think this may be you just imposing a bunch of bullshit half half remembered Abrahamic religious ideas uh, on this scenario that there's gonna be a big payout if you let in the 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 the, the ten dimensional entity that thirsts for the life in our here in our three dimensions or four, if you count time. Sure. I'm never quite sure where he's getting his information from. Um, that story seems like the, the, the protagonists or the, the, the people who are moving the story forward are not Yogg-Sothoth, yeah. but these mutant creatures that were the product of Yogg-Sothoth interacting with terrestrial life. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so I'm really not sure that Yogg demonstrates any kind of a personality either. Um, but, oh my goodness, gosh, uh, Naryalat Hotep, the Crawling Chaos, uh-huh. the Might Messenger, the heart and soul of the uh, Outer Gods. Um, yeah, that's all the personality, you know? He gets to have all the personality and sure. demonstrate it in, uh, pretty conclusively in, in most stories, although, uh, weirdly, go, he kind of goes off, he, he kind of goes back into flat monster town again with um the uh the one that uh, uh, robert blake gets roasted in right i was gonna say robert bloch but that's, yeah. which is kind of correct it's robert bloch being harvard and murdered by narlathotep and yeah. um the uh haunter of the dark the haunter of the dark goes back to being kind of pure monster time yeah. you know the, the creature does, is an avatar of narlathotep all it seems to do is seek destruction we don't have a good read on its wants and desires, uh, mm-hmm. apart from being apparently serviced by the blood of children as pro- pro- provided by the Starry Wisdom Church. Sure, yeah. Uh, there in Providence, Rhode Island, and uh, creepy old Enoch, and creepy old Egyptologist Enoch Bowen, yeah. uh, who is doing that. But it, it, it that one kind of goes off the, it goes off the, the established pattern, which is that um, Narlathotep is here to uh, have a conversation mm-hmm. and fuck you up. Yeah, it's uh, telling you the shit that you absolutely wanted to hear, but you know, probably shouldn't have wanted to hear. And there's that. What's that line? Um, uh, what good is wisdom when it brings no profit to the wise? Um, uh, I can't remember where that quote comes from. That's probably one of our um, I, I suspect it's one of our Greeks. It might be. It might be the Bard. I don't remember. But you know, basically, uh, I've always enjoyed it when Narlathotep doesn't lie to you. Sure. Um, and it's just like, no, I'll tell you what's going on. You know, I've got the inside track on the universe. I mean, I'm I hang out with Azathoth and play the flute, and uh, you know, uh, generally, uh, you know, generally know what's going on, and I can communicate with you things that, you know. Narlathotep communicating with us makes as much sense as us being able to communicate with bacteria. Yeah. What the fuck would we have to say to them and what would they have to say to us? Mm-hmm. But for some reason, um, Gnarly can uh, can cross that boundary and actually have a conversation with us to what end I, I do not 100% know. Sure, yeah. Uh, there's what he does. There's, there's the effects of what he does in the fiction and mm-hmm. usually it's just to fuck up humanity in one way or another. Yeah. You wonder why they bother. Um, if 
the elder gods are so far above us and so disconnected to us why uh, why would he bother um but at the same time yeah it's uh, it's all about you know um uh uh telling you mixing wise and truths together in a way that will lead you to a path of self-destruction you know, yeah yeah self-revelation or uh, and Robert Bloch comes back with the story. I think it's called The Dark Demon, mm -hmm. uh, where Narlathotep shows up uh, to uh, be somebody working on the Manhattan Project, if yeah. I'm not mistaken, and uh, is um, ha handing out, um, uh, you know, uh, equals MC squared, and you're going to need to spend that centrifuge a little longer there, uh, Robert Oppenheimer, um, yeah. if you really want to blow up the... Uh, the Nazis, and then of course it was too late to blow up the Nazis and had to settle for blowing up some Japanese fascists instead. Um, so yeah, there's this this idea that Narlathotep is always there to, to help you achieve your goals in a way sure. that will make you more miserable in the future. And in that case, he he has a very Middle Eastern characteristic in that he's like a jinn. Yeah. He, he has that um, jinn-like quality where neither man nor god, but something else. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um the uh, granting of wishes, I don't know um, what the origins are in actual Arabian Nights to the granting of wishes in Jinn. I mean, Jinn, from what I've read, uh, very little uh, uh, is that they, um, they're they a third kind of intelligent life on Earth. Uh -huh. They're not humans, they're not angels or demons, they're something else. You know, they're spirits outside of our world, and they certainly seem to have aspects that be quite powerful. The, um, the uh, rather uh, amazing, um, oh, um, yep, I'm going to totally forget the author's name, so I'm going to try and look it up on my computer here. No and problem. Pretend that you, pretend that you didn't uh, notice sure. that I, uh, oh, yeah. I got lost there. But anyways, I was going to say that there have been some fictionalized versions of Jin um, that have been uh, really spectacular spectacular in their sort of otherworldly power to the point you think someone was describing a great old one yeah um and i've always found those you know because again always like that because once you get into supernatural power uh, why is supernatural power limited you know there's always we love the idea that supernatural power has limits like oh uh, you know only the full moon and you put the garlic around the window or you don't invite them in or, sure you know all those kind of rules that that limit the supernatural from uh, being able to do all the, the things that, because again, the whole point of the supernatural is that, congratulations, the laws of physics stopped working. Yeah. <laughs> um, and they're not coming back. Math failed. You know, two plus two in this environment does not equal four. Um, yeah, was, I was going to say, in Tim Powers Declare, and uh, that novel has Jin as the supernatural resource that the various Cold War organizations are trying to fight over hmm. in order to empower their um, their nations to win the Cold War. And in the case of uh, the Soviet Union, which is yeah. really just Russia, mm -hmm. uh, you know, in another, the Russian Empire in another um, form, yeah. the uh, jinn that is settled under Moscow is not just a jinn, but is also a ghoul, oh. G-H-U-L. Yeah. And it feeds on corpses, which explains almost the entirety of the 20th century in Russia. Yeah. As long as there is a monster living under the Kremlin that feeds on corpses and it's properly fed, Russia look, Russia's doing pretty good in the world. They're putting the first man in space. You know, they're um, they're controlling all of Eastern Europe. You know, the body count in Russia goes down. Mm -hmm. uh, 
And uh, suddenly, you know, they pull out of Afghanistan, for instance, and suddenly the corpse-eating god under the Kremlin is no longer favorable, and uh, things start to fall apart. That's just math. That's, that makes perfect sense. Yeah. Anyways, enough of Tim Power to Claire. <laughs> um, I was going to say that um, of the... Um, I mean, I, 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 I wish The Haunter of the Dark had more going for it. Yeah. It's kind of just, Mom, a monster... And which is sad because the actual Star Wisdom cult is one of the best documented, best written about cults in Lovecraft outside of yeah. the uh, esoteric order of Dagon. Sure, yeah. And who doesn't want to have more of that? <laughs> um, but um, uh, so, you know, he, there's another author, uh, Laird Barron. Mm-hmm. I think it was in his book, his novella, I think it is, uh, X's for Eyes. Um, which is this very strange book that is like, it's like, what if, I mean, it reads like Johnny Quest, except, or, or the Venture Brothers, uh-huh. except if the main characters were horrifying socio, horrifyingly competent murderous sociopaths, you know, um, who, who are in a constant war globally with other horrifying um, murderous sociopaths. Uh, but who are also competent. I mean, it's 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 really weird. The, the story reads like, you know, dad sends his kids off to Tibet to 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 learn all these esoteric arts of killing in some lamaist uh, monastery up uh-huh. in Tibet. You know, and uh, you know they they um, uh, so they can return and run the family business, which is you know their 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 uh, the only thing I really remember was that they're two. Two of the people who worked around the house are both ex-Foreign Legion. One of them is a, is a Frenchman. Mm-hmm. The other one used to be an Obersturmenführer in the SS, but had to bug out in 1945 and join the uh, the Legion as a way to, you know, not be caught for war crimes trials. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and both of them are both both their like gardener and their chauffeur. You know, these two ex-Legion guys are, sure. yeah. uh, you know. Um, veterans of Dien Bien Phu and uh, they still keep them around because as a Frenchman and a German they don't like each other and will constantly be ready to rat the other one out they'll mm-hmm. never be allies together which is what dad wants and, yeah. but at the same time it has this weird like I said Johnny Quest Venture Brothers feel to it and at some point one of the stories or one of the parts of this there's this moment where Narothotep or Hotep makes an appearance uh, very briefly and when asked, you know, who are you? Uh, this may be the, my favorite uh, Nairala Totep response, which was, me, um, I'm basically an anthropologist. <laughs> and I was like, oh, shit. Yeah, I get that, but I don't know to what end. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know why Nairala Totep would uh, give a toss. Yeah. Um, uh, certainly, there's been some suggestion that um, the Randolph Flag, the walking dude from uh, Stephen King's um, uh, uh, The Stand, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, is in fact Narlat Hotep. I mean, they name uh-huh. drop. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. I think they even name drop him in the miniseries. I think, uh, what's his name? Played? My Favorite Martian uh, actually calls him uh, Scratch and Beelzebub. Yeah, yeah. And, and, uh, uh, Nairat Hotep, and I'm like, oh, nice name drop. <laughs> but, uh, and that 
what's he interested in mankind? He's interested in mankind because in, in some level, he doesn't want to be a, he doesn't want to be the heart and soul uh, and mess, mighty messenger of the elder gods or the outer gods. He wants to be his own thing, um, which is a lot like your brain wanting to ditch your lungs, heart, and uh, GI tract. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, it's kind of this weird... You know, it, it, and I guess that is part of that is partly uh, a reference kind of maybe to the fall of uh, Lucifer and mm-hmm. pride and, you know, hubris thinking that it can exist without its masters, you know. Yeah. Um, but Narayalath Hotep definitely turns up when it's time to have a... Uh, incomprehensible, uh, utterly hard to perceive, uh, 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 bad for your eyes, bad for your sanity, um, mythos entities show up and you know, oh, yeah. have a conversation, <laughs> do, do some, do some monologuing, have a soliloquy. Sure. You know, um, that seems to be his, his, his often point. I'm not saying that every, uh, mythos version or every version of, uh, Hotep that has turned up in fiction or in gaming is, that kind of prop in a story. I'm sure. just saying yeah. that that's sort of the sort of the big default. And he's one of the only critters you can really do that with. Yeah. You can't have a conversation with Nikolinak. Sure, you can talk to, I guess you can talk to the Doctor the Hand. <laughs> I guess you can talk to the Avatar before it transforms, like in the story um, that he appears in. There's a, uh, uh, you can't, you know, again, you can't have a conversation with Beatus or Cthulhu mm-hmm, or, or I guess you can kind of sort of have a conversation with the King in Yellow. Um, uh, uh, Sothagwa gets credit in some of uh, Clark Ashton Smith's stories sure. for being able to hold a conversation. Yeah, yeah. But most of them don't. No. And um, certainly on nearly all, I think all, except maybe Nodens and Narlathotep mm-hmm, mm-hmm. are the ones I can think of who you can actually interact with in any kind of way. Oh, yeah. Um, and uh, which leads to the question whether or not Moses is just another mask of Marilithotep. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, j- just, just be, I mean, why wouldn't, why wouldn't there be a mask that doesn't know that it's a mask that is in constant combat with Marilithotep just to make Marilithotep's life more interesting? You know? Um, <laughs> yeah. I had some players report to me that once upon a time their game master dropped some Marilithotep on them uh, because uh, in the form of, of showing up and looking like Jesus. Yeah. And being like, oh, no, I'm totally Jesus. I'm here to save you from Cthulhu because prayer, prayer works, and you should hold that Bible close and rub that cross. And... <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm just kidding, guys. I couldn't keep a straight face. No, you just you might as well just eat that Bible. You know? <laughs> um, or something like that. I mean, he, but Narathotep showed up pretending to be Christ or at the center of a church. Mm-hmm. That thought they Jesus would come back and nope, it's just not a tough feeding them lies. <laughs> you know, there was sacrifice in the uh, old testament. You guys probably should get back to doing that, don't you think? You know, that kind of nasty yeah. talk. Yeah, yeah. Don't worry, I promise I'll stay your hand before you actually sit the kids through it. It's just a test. Just a just a test. You'll be fine. Um, that seems like a narrow thing that really. Um but um uh, so you were asking me earlier about um, uh, particularly useful avatars or interesting avatars that yeah. stood out. Yeah. Um, I tell you what, one of the first ones I ran across that I quite liked was 
in a short story by a guy named uh, Victor Milan. Okay. Uh, it's in uh, uh, the Cthulhu's Heirs collection, put out by Chaosium. Mm -hmm. It was their third collection they ever did. And yeah. Lovecraft uh, fiction it was put out in '94. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen it since anywhere, but Mr. Skin was uh, a Marilithotep avatar who turns up in kind of a 19, an alternate 1970s Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. I mean, mm -hmm. there's kind of a stand-in for uh, for uh, uh, the Symbionese uh, Liberation Army and sure. Patty Hearst and mm -hmm. things like that and uh, the people who are behind that. And um, uh, Mr. Skin is this... Uh, this sort of comes, uh, has this, um, uh, I guess there's some, there's some connections to original appearances in Narlathotep as somebody from Africa, mm -hmm. maybe North Africa, mm -hmm. light-skinned, thin mustache, white suit, big hat. Mr. Skin is essentially play-acting like a pimp. Gotcha. He becomes, a, he becomes a, a character who can give some information to the investigators who are trying to find the way to the bottom of this particular conundrum much to their you know uh, much to their uh, disappointment when they get to the bottom of it but um, uh, it was a better it was a better American urban Narlathotep than let us say the royal pant does anyone know the royal pant yeah yeah, yeah. I, I wanted to like it because it was a black man with a horn and it's right there in the in the in the telegram or the, the, the postcard yeah you know, the, and which uh got so you know marvelously used by tv Klein for black man with a horn i mean i wanted a black man with a horn but the anagram of narrow to royal pant of the royal pant is just painful yeah um i just that was no good for me but mr skin was sort of like this is what you should have got yeah <laughs> this is what you should have gotten instead of the royal pant <laughs> um and um, you know, he, 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 these days, I, I, I read the character. I think Giancarlo Esposito yeah. would play the royal pant. Yeah. He would be this sort of disassociated, disconnected with the events around. It's like, hey, I'm just an observer. I'm just here so that when the tree falls, there's someone who can observe it happen. Hmm. You know, that's my job. Um, but uh, who knows? It's not a thought. He lies all the time. Why would yeah. he tell you anything? Especially because it's not a he. You always got to remember to gender these uh, elder gods correctly. These are hits. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Shub is not a she. Um, Narothotep is not a uh, she if it appears in the form of the bloated woman. Sure, yeah. The Tello's, um, was it, uh, Tello's mass Narothotep. Or uh, the Red Queen, because people, um, people have reached down into some... Are you, are you familiar with the Red Queen from uh, homeless folklore in um, in Los Angeles, in, in, in Miami, Florida, Dade County? No. So there's this whole weird thing you can look up online about these interviews these reporters did with homeless kids down in um, Miami Dade, uh -huh. and they found out that there was this whole syncretic mythology system, almost like a new religion, uh -huh. growing up around these kids and I don't know whether it lasted or whether these were stories that the kids told the reporters so that they would maintain the reporters interest and they keep buying them lunch or whatever you know, there's some talk about the um, that the Algonquin stories of the uh, of the uh, Wendigo yeah 
are bullshit. That that was just bullshit. That uh, the some some uh, First Nations people made up to tell anthropologists because you know um, the <laughs> there was money in it and the uh, Canadians weren't hiring Indians. You know what I mean? Yeah, so yeah, yeah. You, you make do as best you can. Okay. <laughs> um, but um, you know, so I've heard some of that, and I, mm-hmm. but I've also you know, so there's this there's a myth. That comes out of um, I want to say it's Dave, and it mixes in bits and pieces of some of the um, sort of uh, narcotrafico saints, uh-huh. the, the things like the Santa Muerto, yeah. Saint Death, and, mm-hmm. and it's also mixes in a certain amount of uh, misunderstood uh, Haitian voodoo and 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 uh, God, what is it called from? It's from Santa Domingo. Oh, um... Yeah, I'm, I'm forget. I'm suddenly blanking. It's Macumba in Brazil, and I don't know what it's called in Cuba, but uh, Santeria. That's yeah. It. It's, it's in all this different sort of stuff, but it's a pantheon of, of characters with a lot of Catholic saints mixed in. And one of the the sort of figures in it is uh, a character called the Red Queen, uh, which has made it into uh, Call of Cthulhu fiction and um, gaming as an avatar of... Narlathotep, um, uh, the queen in red. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, um, it, it is, um, it's this, it's, it's a very Metastophelian character. Okay. Uh, the, uh, the, the, from that mythology that, that, that is reported, you know, they're, they, uh, the kids describe a world based on the world that they live in where God is clearly dead uh-huh. or has fled his creation and left it, uh, abandoned to, um, uh, Satan, and that the only things left were a few angels living as re- uh, living as um, as uh, refugees, as, as hunted hunted entities, um, being pursued by uh, the darkness that's out there okay. that clearly runs the world. I mean, yeah. all you have to do is go to Miami Dade and you'll get that uh, in a minute. Um, but um, yeah, it's it's an interesting bit of uh, folklore, huh. and so. Folklore has been folded back into uh, Nyarlathotep as well, um, you know, uh, by both gaming and uh, other other things. Um, yeah. But um, uh, yeah, I um, uh, I don't. When I think about you know the, the, the most some of the most interesting things are of course for this the ones that the ones that actually will have a conversation with you mm-hmm. um, because it's your it's this weird moment where the uh, players can um, literally touch the infinite. Yeah. Uh, and be on the very precipice of, you know, the very edge of the total perspective vortex, the thing that will absolutely blow your brain out the back of your head. <laughs> yeah. um, and uh, this thing is, this thing is not even remotely bothered by it. Um, I'm certainly a, a big fan of the, the Black Pharaoh mm-hmm, concept mm-hmm. Sure. Um, because, you know, when you want old, go Egypt. Yeah. Uh, Egypt has all the great old, um, uh, you know, or I think it was like Julius Caesar is closer to us than he is to the building of the pyramids. Yeah, yeah. Um, so uh, any kind of Egyptian connection is uh, is lovely. I'm always happy with that. Um, I was also, uh, uh, I did like, uh, I wasn't a th- huge fan of the story. Um, let me see if I can find the, uh, I Dream of Wires um, uh-huh. by uh, Scott David Nowowski. Uh, I, I pronounce that wrong. Nowowski. 
Um, it's a great concept. I like the TikTok man as yeah. an avatar of technology. Sure. As represented by Narla Thotep, despite the fact we're in a digital age, he's all still all filled with gears and shit. Yeah. Um, that's, I mean, the idea is better than the execution. It's a great concept of Narla Thotep. Um, I actually, um, I want the bloated woman from Masks to be more interesting. Um, sure, yeah. Uh, simply because it's one of the few female depictions of Narlathotep. Um, and uh, the the concept to me of mm-hmm. the black fan held in front of the entity's face that shields what it actually is. Mm-hmm. This, is this is the talisman that allows you to talk to it where at any minute, you know, the moment you are annoying or possibly impudent or or she's just bored now and you know wants to take that snap that fan shut and reveal the monster behind it yeah that's super creepy i I, I quite like that the uh the i've got 17 mouths and 27 chins and you know eight eyes that that's not nearly as interesting yeah that's not nearly as interesting as the idea that that there's a mammoth thing uh that you cannot you cannot perceive, mm-hmm. but for this very thin veil uh, that is in front of you, um, that is going to drop at any second. I mean, yeah. that, that I'm very happy with, and I would love to do some something with uh, with her, but I haven't mm, gotten around to it. Um, one of the best uh, types of all time mm-hmm. is one of the worst narlathotips of all time, which is Atu from David Drake's story. Than Curse the Darkness. Um, okay. To me, it's the world's greatest cultist story because it and asks and answer the question: Why would you sign on to work with Nyarlathotep? Yeah. Why would you join a cult of the Otter Gods? And uh, the answer comes: Well, you could be a tribesman in the Congo, and half the population has already been murdered by the Belgians trying to extract latex. Yeah. Yeah. So. Your back's against the wall. Uh, they've they've already made you cut down huge chunks of the forest, and they expect you to meet your quota next year. And there aren't enough trees to, and there's no way to gather enough latex, uh, and you know before the uh, the Belgians come back. So I guess we're going down a third tap. Yeah. Right. <laughs> so it, it's a great. It's got some great high priests in a third tap. It's got some great stuff going on, but essentially. The avatar is just a not talky thing that smashes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, it's not even as cool as the god of the bloody tongue. I happen to think, the, uh, as far as not talky things that smash. Oh yeah. I think the god of the bloody tongue is absolutely primo. That's, oh yeah. That's, that's ten out of ten as far as I'm concerned. Oh yeah. It's <laughs> um, <laughs> crazy. But but uh, yeah, I mean, it's no, no part of it makes sense. It's yeah. just a whole bunch of shit slapped together that you know has only the the barest connection to um, biological life yeah. that, we, that we can conceive of, you know. Other than that, it's just pure nightmare. Exactly. Um, but I and Atu is a bit of the same way, uh, although with le- with less knees. I'm going to put it that way. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, uh, at least there's all those crazy, horrible legs on the god of the bloody tongue and horrible arms with elbows and stuff. But yeah. Ati shows up and it's just a big blobby thing that smashes. I mean, it might as well be that uh, Marvel superhero that their supervillain that was, I guess it's a DC supervillain who's made out of sand or, oh. or whatever. 
his, I, I'm sure they both have a supervillain made out of sand. Honestly, yeah, it just didn't really fly for me. Either. Yeah, yeah. But I, I love the story. I think the Dan Curse the Darkness is one of the great stories out there. It's just not a great no. It's, it's a Avatar necessarily. Okay. Um, uh, I again. Uh, you know, if you're if, if you're gonna divide them up between you know uh, the ones that uh, can fill in as uh, 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 Gojira mm-hmm. or some other, um, I was about to say hente, but that's not it. What's the term for the giant monsters in Japanese? Kaiju. 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 Yeah, you, you want a kaiju, it, you definitely want to go um, with uh, with the, the god of the bloody tongue or maybe um, the haunter of the dark. You. I guess you really don't want hentai, uh, now that, uh, but um, I, I suspect I think it's somebody out there. Yeah. Us to it. Yeah. Because if I've said it out loud, there's already a worse yeah. We've already learned that. I'm very disturbed by the Japanese tendency to um, turn it, turn everything into 16-year-old schoolgirls. Yeah. yeah. And it's I know it's already happened with Narlathotep. Yeah. And sort of Cthulhu High School uh, thing out there somewhere. But, you know, um, which, you know, there's always that friend who's like, hey, look at this. Ah, it's like, in the same way, there's always that guy at the Call of Duty game that says, oh, I lost sanity looking at this. Hey, Bob, come over here. You should take a look. And it yeah. makes you see it, too. You know, <laughs> there's always somebody who goes see some terrible uh, Japanese um, uh, 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 weird Lovecraftian pastiche crossover with high school girls and say, look at this. And, just, and then it's in your head. And you're never going to yeah. get it out except maybe with a bullet. <laughs> yeah. that, is, that is where it stays. Um, I, I have to say my favorite uh, avatar of Narlithotep is the great gazoo from the Flintstones. Clearly. Oh, clearly. Some floating little guy who insults you yet whispers futures of the secrets of yeah. the universe into your ear. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's clearly Narlithotep. I mean, clearly. I don't think there's any doubt in our minds, you know? Uh, and again, just... You know, just toying with them. Got nothing better to do. Yeah, yeah. And part of me's wondering if Narlethotep is just toying with us, waiting for the Yithians to come back, who are actually his favorites to mess around with. He's like, yeah, humans are cool, but they're only going to be here, what? Not that long. Yithians. That presumes that he perceives perceives time the same way that we do. And I I don't want to ask that question, because it it can fry my brain like an egg on a skillet. Um, Maybe it's... Maybe... That's a thing. Maybe Narlathotep can see the beginning and the end of the middle. Oh yeah. All at the same time, because <laughs> uh, that would be the sort of the next step after you know, the idea. If you're existing in four dimensions, you can look down into our three dimensions and see it from every angle. Oh yeah. You know, kind of flatlined way. But uh, if you're in five dimensions or higher, then maybe you can look down and you can see into time. Yeah. The same way, and you get that weird space like they did. To um, they did at the end of uh, Interstellar, mm-hmm. the, the weird space that was forwards and backwards in time. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was not bad as as a, as a higher dimensional as attempt to show you what it looks like to yeah. look down into lower dimensions. They did all that effect. <laughs> um, but yeah, I um, uh, the the problem, of course, you know, with Narlathotep because he's uh, he has the ability to do some talky talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, as opposed to a smashy smash or blasty blast. Um, one of the problems is that uh, it, I sometimes think maybe it could be overused uh, in the fiction. Um, uh, it, um, it it can be a, it can be real a real 
It gave me a real easy deus ex machina for delivering what the hell's been going on. Yeah. Uh, in the, either in a scenario or in a short story, or if it's just been one weird, strange thing after another, and then you know the the then uh, Giancarlo Esposito shows up in his white suit to say, "Well, you see." You've been a deep one all along, or whatever, and explaining <laughs> what the problem is. You're seems... just a brain in a jar. Yeah, exactly. Explain why things haven't been, why things haven't been working out, why yeah. cause and effect stopped working. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, there, there. He can certainly. I'm not that Giancarlo Exposito wouldn't make a top shelf, and I dare you right now to come up with a better Narothotep currently working. Uh, I can't. In the business, because seriously. Um, he could, he could, he could black fair that shit. He could, uh, yeah, uh, no problem. He could be any number of avatars. Um, but, um, regardless, uh, he, he, it's easy to cast him as, um, it's easy to cast, uh, Narothotep as Metastopheles. Yes. Yeah. Satan. Lucifer Lightbringer. Somebody with a, with a binary relationship to humanity, you know, where yeah. I must destroy you or I must bring the downfall of man. And I don't know that uh, Lucifer is interested in any of that, or rather, Naladhotep is interested in any of that. Um, sure. uh, you can't tell. Um, you know, some of the time it's like, well, is he is he moving? Um, is he moving the stars around for a reason? Mm -hmm. uh, is he getting the orders from someplace else? Um, the more enigmatic uh, you can uh, make Narothotep and not have him be the the easy answer machine that is plugged into a story, the better. Sure. Um, we tried to keep uh, Narothotep uh, as ambiguous as possible uh, in the Delta Green stuff that Dennis wrote. Mm -hmm. um, I should say we, I should say Dennis, because he was the guy who wrote all that. Yeah. With his Stephen Alziz character, mm -hmm. where you can't tell whether they're, they are a powerful sorcerer, um, are they a powerful sorcerer who thinks that they are Narlathotep? Are they just a front? Is like one of the other members of the fate have this guy that they put out in front and says, I'm Stephen Aziz and I'm an, you know, and, and look at me do powerful shit. Yeah. And everyone puts all their focus on him when really it's somebody else in the group that is pulling the strings. That's why every time people kill Stephen Aziz, he just comes back because whoever's actually in charge has a, you know, has a, conveyor belt in the back or, <laughs> you know more likely a giant oversized you know uh, hente wound that just keeps spitting out new Stephen Alziz's every time he needs one sure uh, um, something something good in HR Gigri back there um, but you know, you know uh, uh, we try to keep it as ambiguous as possible um, so that you never really knew where you stand and I think that's that helps with with uh, Narlathotep, yeah. uh, because when it shows up in anthropomorphic form and can blow wind through its meat in such a manner as to mimic the noises that we seem to attach to concepts, you know, yeah. to communicate with, we think, oh, now I understand it because it can be made, because it can make sounds. I understand. We, I can understand it. I think the answer has to be no, um, every single time. Mm -hmm. um, whatever you think Narlathotep is up to. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. it, should, it, it should be more problematic than that. And I, I don't even mind it being problematic mm -hmm. for uh, Narlathotep. Um, the idea that, um, you know, it's got 
all these different masks. Well, maybe these are all less disguises, but just splinters of the original entity. Maybe, yeah. you know, we have um, entities like Yogg-Sothoth and Azathoth and uh, Shub-Niggurath, and then a whole bunch of great old ones who are variously imprisoned, mm -hmm. right, yeah. around the universe. Uh, far too many of them uh, imprisoned on Earth, and even more too many of them imprisoned in England. Um, thank you, Ramsey Campbell. But, um, <laughs> yeah, we've got all these these, these uh, powerful aliens, which I guess is the best way to describe them. What if... Um, you know, Narlathotep isn't a bunch of masks. What if it's just a? What if it's the, uh, it's the uh, China goblet or the uh, sorry, the crystal goblet was smashed to the floor. You yeah. know, and then all these things are fragments of the entity, and it's one of the reasons why. If Narlathotep is so damn powerful, why isn't the story over? Yeah. You know, why isn't uh, everything taken care of now and done and um, you know and and whatever it is that the great of the uh, elder gods want, why isn't it accomplished? Mm -hmm. And then, you know, part of me wondered, you know, and again, it's, uh, uh, I, I don't want to sort of uh, imply any kind of um, uh, uh, divided Godhead, like, uh, you know, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost is Yogg-Sothoth, Shub-Niggurath, and Azathoth, you know, is the divided Godhead, and somehow, you know, um, uh, once all the pieces of Narlathoth, represents another broken piece of this united er entity or whatever I, I don't see that as a lovecraftian um as a lovecraftian concept yeah um it can certainly come as a, a nice um uh a nice uh, theory to throw out i mean i currently have a character in a game that i think he now has more cthulhu mythos than i've ever had a character have oh, ever no. It's like 18, yeah, 18 points of Cthulhu Mythos, which is huge, yeah, huge. And he's pieced it together. It's taken like multiple years. And at one point, his sanity was was down in his low 40s. Oh, geez. And uh, then there was this one adventure that we did where, you know, one of the benefits was a D20, and I fucking rolled a 20. And it's like, okay, I'm back in the game, baby. <laughs> 20 sand points. And then like two minutes later, I saw a dead body and went, eek, and I knocked the sand point off. Yeah. But um, regardless, uh, yeah, uh, he's actually, yeah, he's got more Cthulhu, but he's still... 18% seems like a dangerously low amount of knowledge yeah. to be spinning ideas on. And so far, he has he is sort of developing a theory that um, there is an entity whose name in hieroglyphics means there is no rest at the doorway. So oh, wow. I've been referring to it as no rest because I don't know how to pronounce Narlathotep in, in English. I just know that this is what the... I got a translation of some... Uh, hieroglyphs from a professor. Oh, wow. And yeah. he said, well, in English, it would basically translate to, so I don't even know what Nalathotep is, uh -huh. but um, I do know there's there's an entity called There Is No Rest of the Doorway, which I think is from, I'm not sure if that's from the Dagger of Thoth, uh -huh. it might be. Uh, it might be from the scenario where they tried to turn the name of Nalathotep into some hieroglyphics and give it a, a meaning. But we've been running into all these other entities, and uh We've come up with some connections between Narlathotep and the Red Queen, and yeah. Narlathotep and the Black Bull, and Narlathotep, although we know it as Apis, the, yeah. uh, the ancient deity Apis, and um, uh, possibly even a connection to the three-faced goddess of the fates. The, yeah. uh, uh, and, and so I've made some of these connections, but 
Uh, my character has also decided from his readings that Ithakwa, Dagon, um, uh, Chognar Fawn, all aspects of Nile Ah. All just, they're just myriad names uh, for scratch. For uh -huh, uh -huh. Yeah. You know, because again, only 18%, you know. But even if I, even if I'm like, well, you know, it's not the devil from, you know, uh, uh, Abrahamic religion. There is yeah. no Abrahamic religion. There's no God. There's no Jesus. But this is the thing that mankind has mistaken for the devil. You know. Oh yeah. So I, I'm I, I'm still wrong. I'm, <laughs> I, I'm glad that my character is still wrong about the nature of the universe. I'm sure. Wrong in a relatively interesting way at this point. So I'm uh, next time I'll I'll I'll, I'll no wait the these masks. They're not they're not uh, disguises for the no rest of the gateway. They're bits of it scattered across time and space. Yeah, I'll freak out my other players. <laughs> We'll be we'll be playing again in about two hours. So I can nice, very nice. But that's sort of the thing about Narthup is you should be getting it wrong. I mean, yeah, it, it's just very it's very tempting because it can speak English or whatever your chosen language is. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, and again, yeah. It has bilateral symmetry and can make it understood. Just because it can make itself understood doesn't mean it should be understandable. Yeah, or want to be understood. Um, and besides, uh, it's really hard squeezing uh, the concepts that are coming out of this entity. I don't know if I'd say bouncing around in its brain because who the fuck knows what it uses to sure, cognate sure, yeah. or if it does. But trying to get the inform you know, get information out of that into the Dixie cup that is your language, you know, <laughs> it's like holding the, you know, holding the Dixie cup out under Niagara Falls yeah. and seeing how fast you can fill it up. Um, it would seem problematic. Communication would seem problematic. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> that was pretty awesome, put, Scott. I put a quarter in and I win. Yeah. So uh, <laughs> what else what else are you looking for on Narlathotep? That's it. That's that's okay. I mean I hope it's different than the other things you heard because I've been oh, yeah. talking to other people about of this. I have listened to some of the shows where I'm like, oh crap, I said everything the guy who came on before me said, which <laughs> means I was boring. So that's always disconcerting. Oh well, I don't. I don't think that'll happen this time. So. <laughs> yeah, I uh, again don't don't know what to don't know what to make of uh, uh, Nara and neither should you. Yeah, um, yeah. Is, is basically the key to it, but um, uh, it is it's fun, but it can also be lazy because anytime anyone wants to introduce a new thing into uh, Call of Cthulhu, the role playing game, yeah. or a new thing into the fiction, they're just like, ah, it's a mask and Nara <laughs> That's it. I just I just came up with another mask. You know, it's got uh, it's got a propellers for hands. Yeah, that's cool. And you know, it, it just becomes another thing to slap uh, another monstrous thing, a monstrosity. You just slap the name on, and now it fits the canon. Yeah. Without actually having to consider uh, what its themes are. Yeah. Um, yeah. What what thematic? How thematically it, it fits into um, uh, this idea of of, of Narlathotep as a uh, deliverer of knowledge, a deliverer of uh, of, uh, of communication. Mm -hmm. You know, the yeah. fact that it's the mighty messenger, well, it can carry a message, can it? Yeah. It can actually deliver information to you. It just <laughs> may not, you know, it may not benefit you when you get it. So I think that's very important yeah, in all yeah. the aspects. I would always want to try and have a way, whether it appears as kind of a crossroads demon-making bargains, you know, or... Um, uh, an oracle that can show you things that yeah. you perhaps should not best have left unseen. Mm -hmm. 
um, some of the best stuff is about knowledge okay. and, and, and showing you something. Yeah. Um, certainly that was an aspect of the character, Mr. Skin, mm-hmm. um, uh, in, uh, in that short story and, uh, has been some of the, uh, better, uh, versions of Narlathotep over the years. I, not a huge fan necessarily of the skinless one, but I got it from Horror on the Iron Express, but I gotta tell you, there is almost no cult of, uh, Narlathotep that I haven't enjoyed as much as the, the cult of the skinless ones. Okay. I love the idea of a cult that can do psychic surgery. That can yeah. replace lost limbs, can reach into people and pull the cancer out, you know, in an age before chemotherapy or replace a lost eye or make somebody walk again or any yeah. of that stuff. And so the, the, as a as a cult goes, what they can do their creepy, horrible occult surgery, it's like, mm-hmm. well, that's going to be a tough cult to beat because every rich person on the planet <laughs> is going to have a hand in that. Yeah. You know? I'd like a heart transplant. Oh, my kidney stopped working. Oh, my kid has a club foot. You know, sure, yeah. there's going to be so, and it wouldn't even have, you know, it doesn't even have to be rich and powerful people. There's going to be all kinds of people who have medical ailments that can't be fixed. And then suddenly the cult of the skinless one shows up and says, you know, I can, I can, uh, uh, fix the problem with your daughter, you know, and then you're grateful. You don't even have to be a cultist. You'll just do stuff for them because you're grateful Yeah. that they, they healed your loved ones, yeah. you know, and that's super creepy. That that was to me the best part of uh, the best part of horror on the Art Express. Uh-huh, uh-huh. It's the idea that there's a um, this cult out there that uh, could uh, do this thing, do this healing, you know. And of course, then you know the, the, the best part is anytime they snap the, their fingers, you know the um, the psychic surgery stops, so your replacement liver falls out. Oh uh, yeah, you're, you know. You're, you cough up the vocal cords you borrowed or, you know, whatever it is that you wanted to do, it falls apart and yeah. you're left, you know, uh, probably expiring quickly in a puddle of your own blood mm-hmm. uh, because the hole they reached in to move stuff around also opens up because they didn't use any stitches. They just used magic with a K. Yeah. So, yeah, I've always loved that cult. I think that's a fantastic, horrible cult because yeah. uh, in an age before antibiotics before surgery before uh immunosuppressors for organ transplants before heck we're still in an age where a severed nerve is it yeah just like um dr frederick frankenstein said mm-hmm. at the beginning of young frankenstein yeah. there is no heaven on heaven on earth to mend that severed nerve once it is cut it is cut and so having a cult that shows up and says yeah maybe it's not yeah that that seems like those guys would be dangerous. Yeah. <laughs> Those guys would be really dangerous because, you know, if, uh, no one's more... Okay, you think uh, you think your average, you know, Massinothotep cultist is problematic because, yeah. you know, his uh, uh, bloody tongue face mask and his creepy war clubs and his, um, you know, uh, bush knives. Okay, that's bad, but, you know, when it turns out that the guys are protecting their... They're, you know, when it's when it's parents who are, whose children have been pulled back from the edge mm-hmm. because of cancer, or spinal bifida, or, or or any number of horrifying illnesses, sure. yeah, those folks are those folks are going to be terrifyingly uh, effective. Yeah. Uh, at uh, bringing doom to your players because yeah. uh, they're doing it out of love, 
and not out of some crazy nihilism. They're doing it because they believe in a future. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. Doesn't protect. Uh, so they, they're, they're one of my favorite cults. Of all the cults that have come out of um, uh, the um, uh, Call of Duty role-playing game, they're yeah. really one of my favorites. Um, uh, they, they, um, yeah. I, 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 the only thing that's even close to that is the, is the scenario a cult of one uh -huh. where the mythos sorcerer is an organ donor and his organs and, <laughs> and his uh his corneas and everything else end up in a whole bunch of different people yeah and then he creates a hive mind to bring himself back to life out of the five or six people he's been he's been um transplanted in yeah and uh yeah you can just burn with a flamethrower but it means killing all these innocent people including a child and I, I get that there's a point in some Call of Cthulhu games where you can't tell the players from the cultists. Yeah. <laughs> the whole point of the scenario is you're gonna have to use the you're gonna have to use the supernatural means to yeah. fix this problem. So you can save yourself a bucket of sand points, you know. Um, you know, you you wanna set the kid on fire, you go right ahead. That's you know, that'll be a D twenty. You want me to roll it or should you? you yeah. Know? Um and so um, but that's another that's another transplant story and again that gets into the Cronenbergism and you know your body horror and oh, sure, yeah. whatever the hell's going on in this movie uh, Crimes <laughs> of the Future you know yeah um, but uh, yeah that's a, that's it for Narlothotep I think I think uh -huh. I've exhausted my supply of Narlothoteping for the moment. Well, no problem. Uh, we'll we'll be sure to have you on the show next time. We want to talk to you about something involving the Cthulhu mythos or cool things like that. Thank you again so much, Scott, and we will see you this October at the HP Lovecraft Film Festival yes, in Portland, Oregon. Yes, I will be doing some panels and awesome. I'll be doing some uh, running a game. I'll be cool. running the game for the Kickstarter. Very neat. Very cool. All right, Scott. Well, thank you again so much, and we'll see you next time. Thank you. Hey, everyone. It's me, DB. New sponsor on the show, Glary. Glary offers a great price and better quality goods and services for music lovers. Are you looking for good prices, free shipping, 100% quality guarantee? Glary's got you covered. Guitars, bass guitars, mandolins, they've got saxophones, trumpets, drums, they've got guitar cases, amplifiers, all the stuff that you need without having to break the bank. Inexpensive doesn't have to mean cheap. Check out the show notes to find more about Glary. 20 watt amplifiers for under $50. Hard cases for your electric guitar for under $80. Guitars themselves for under $90. Come on, folks, check out the show notes. Get a Glary. a spine-tingling, nerve-shattering podcast featuring all your favorite monsters. You won't believe your ears when you listen to Monster Kid Radio. Hear your host, Derek M. Cook, and his ever-rotating stable of guests discuss your favorite classics and sometimes not-so-classic monster movies. Subscribe to Monster Kid Radio through iTunes or Stitcher, or visit monsterkidradio.net before the next weekly episode of Monster Kid Radio. Go through the archives for interviews with Sarah Karloff, Victoria Price, and Joel Hodson. Listen to discussions about movies like Creature from the Black Lagoon, Island of Terror, and King Kong. And don't forget convention coverage from Monster Bash and the HP Lovecraft Film Festival, Classic Monsters, Modern Talk, and The Head of Rondo Hatton, only on Monster Kid Radio. Hey, everyone. 
just reminding you. We have t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shelf curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. Me and Dave. Dave, how the heck is it going? I am much better now that I got a chance to hear Scott Clancy. Oh, cool. Yeah. No. Uh, he, he he also tried not to uh, spoil anything about the uh, bloated woman. But so we're now talking about magic and dungeons and dragons, especially uh, I want to say how spellcasting works. And, uh, you know, like, Dave, what's a spell? So, I had a thought. Yeah. So there's this really is this sort of idea in the real world. Yeah. That magic is that sort of life hack that allows you to go around the rules of reality. Sure, yeah. So in the same thought in the game, a spell is basically the rules that allow you to get around the rules. So the default rule of the game is matter just doesn't randomly explode. You know, I'm being a little facetious here, but you use the fireball spell. The default rule of the game is your hit points go down fast, sure, but go up slowly. But you use the heal spell to get around that. So it basically allows you to do things that you would not normally be allowed to do in the game. And, And... fairness though that's also what feats do but this is a very special sort of tied to magical and tied to the caster yeah 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 no um every spell uh is like zero to ninth level um but you know you can uh like learn a spell at first level and cast it at ninth level and it's going to be an insanely powerful magic missile that you fire off at ninth level versus the magic missile you fire off at first or second level. And and as far as I know, that's a change in the rules come 5e. I don't know if that was in 4e. Yeah, yeah. Because uh, I've never touched a 4e book. Gotcha, gotcha. I always feel like it was something that was doable in the past with metamagic feats, and in 2.5 they had, like, metamagic that you could do to do that kind of stuff. But yeah, no, no, it's it's not like standard D&D, um, but I also kind of feel like that's, like, very close to house rules that I had in the past. And, and this makes your lower-level spells are so important. Oh, yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, so it, it gets to a point where, you know, and, and some of them are also the level based for damage. Yeah. But it gets to the point that the the econ- the spell economy, for lack of a better word, 
at the first level is just not worth it against what you're going on. It doesn't do enough damage. It doesn't do enough yeah. healing. Yeah. But this allows you to sort of give, put your spells on steroids. Yeah, yeah. And it, it, it makes, uh, like, heal just like having a heal spell versus a uh, multi-tiered version of the heal spell make exactly. a little bit more sense. That you have to buy it every three levels or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it makes a lot more sense, and honestly, it's the way that I wish the magic system worked in a lot of other systems, but I feel like it's, it's like kind of the way the magic has worked in some, uh, RPGs, JRPGs in the past, so I'm like, huh, okay, well, I don't know where that comes from, but I like it, and it's always a big fun thing, and, um, you know, it, we're talking like one to ninth level spells, but then there's also cantrips, which are like these simple little spells that can do a lot of stuff. Is there any cantrips you're a big fan of, Dave? Well, they brought a lot of the first level spells into cantrips. Down to cantrips, yeah, yeah. It's kind of like everything got kind of like um, when I don't remember who it was, but there was some cell phone company that's like, we have five bars, and it's like, no, 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 you just move the fourth bar over one and you put it in a new bar it's like it's it's kind of like zero and first level stuff have been kind of squished together in some aspects to be like listen you get all this stuff at once don't worry about it just have fun it's it's a game and i enjoy that and, and the thing about cantrips mm -hmm. is they don't use a slot no they don't they don't so that i mean that was you know, in AD&D, you know, first edition, you know, basic, you know, your spellcaster at the beginning, you just, you, you, you had, you were one shot pointing. Yeah. You got the one spell or, you know, even if it's four spells, mm -hmm, you know, mm -hmm. and when you're low level, you basically, you know, you cast your spell and then you hid behind the fighter. Sure. Yeah. So, especially when you've got cantrips like, Eldritch Blast. Yeah, you 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 still got magic. It may be low level in most cases, but you still got magic, and you've still got offensive magic. Yeah, that you're not going to run out of. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and of course they're going to change the rules because of that because people are taking the effective advantage of it. Ah, yeah, but I mean it turns everyone or it turns a lot of your magic users into ranged fighters, which I mean. Ranged fighters that can't wear certain armor, ranged fighters that can only use certain things, and, you know, you just have to switch things around a bit to make it a little bit harder, or a little bit easier, or whatever fits your campaign. And I, I, at first I was a little irritated with it's like, oh, oh, everyone can do this? It's like, that seems a little fourth edition. And then it's like, oh, that's kind of like, I like that. That's like some th throwbacks from like uh, 3.5 and 2.5. Like, okay, well, just make that meta magic feat just like part of everything. And it's like, all right, that works for me. Yeah. And, and I think in an attempt to scale, magic at the beginning was very glass, you know, glass cannon. Sure. Yeah. You know, you got your shots, and then, uh, and there's been, a, I think, an attempt 
to increase the power in magic characters, but at the same time, not take anything away from your more martial characters, yeah. your martial class, which are very much bound in game physics. Mm-hmm. You know, they they can't cast feather fall. Yeah. You know, the monk. You know, monk. You know, can fall some, but but so the the tricky spot for a game writer is make them powerful enough to be at e- least equal as the the martial classes but not be op yeah yeah definitely definitely and uh, yeah no no and spells are cool cantrips are cool um, and there's a lot of different types. There's like a, like one of the main types I can think of is the difference between like known spells and prepared spells, like the difference between clerics and wizards. I always get that part confused. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So like a known spell is like you just wake up in the morning and you pray, or whatever your class is. You don't have to study. You just know it, but you just have to dedicate a little bit of time letting your god or letting your deity or letting your whomever know that you know that they know that you know and prepared spells are more about like okay everyone hold on i gotta go study for two hours three hours grind up a bunch of stuff uh prepare some things put it all into pouches and i'll be ready to be a wizard in uh by 10 a.m. at the latest. I can leave the inn at 10. Okay, guys. All right. All right. I'll be down. I'll be down in the bar grinding up sulfur. I am neat. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And everyone has spell slots, and that's more of like uh, as we were talking about classes uh, last week and the week before. Everyone has different types of spell slots, and uh, yeah. Yeah, it all depends on your class, and it all depends on like other things that you take. But spell slots, um, it it all depends on how you play D and D, on what kind of spell slots you have, and what class you are, and everything. Um, yeah. Um, also, and, and I think that one of the things that intimidates people, especially new players, yeah, is that it is one of the most crunchy parts of the game yeah yeah i forget about that because i've just been playing the game forever but yeah yeah no spell slots and that kind of stuff and all your spells and like being a like a wizard specifically it's like oh i need more paper do you have any more paper with like D stuff on it? it's like no you just write it down on a piece of paper what yeah no you just write down your spells on a piece of paper how do i do that well you write your zero level spells down and then you write your first level spells down. Well, how do I know? Like, put little hash marks next to them, or circles, or bring tokens, or beans, or something. It's not my problem. I mean, I don't say it's not my problem. I try and be as helpful as possible. But also at the same time, I feel like people should watch other people play more crunchier classes before atten- attempting them themselves. The forbidden fruit of advanced character classes yeah hey dave is uh how 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 is how is it uh with casting casting spells while wearing armor so 
there's always so are, if you, so the answer to your question is what version <laughs> so originally there was this concept no yeah and so there was this pseudoscientific that the metal so the reason that clerics could wear armor was because their deities were giving them power yeah and that but the reason that the, the magic user which was the generic spellcaster at the time couldn't because it would cause um difficulties and feedback and then it got to a point well you could wear it but you don't really know what you're doing and then you got to take it off to cast the spells or to electrocute you or something yeah and then it got to a percentage of failures uh and now i'm pretty sure it's just proficiency and that yeah. you get minuses on stuff but you've got to go out of your way to get a class that has armor in 5e such as like some of the dwarves or be a spellcaster or get um you, you know different uh feats yeah yeah, I've I've been treating it like you need feats or uh, race uh, racial classes uh, to cast in armor for a number well, since about third edition. Uh, just like, listen, it's heavy. Armor's heavy. You can't do the little hand movementy things. You can say the stuff. You can burn the incense. You can you you can throw the stuff into the fire while you shout stuff. But nothing's going to happen if you can't move your arms right. You can move your fingers right, but you have to have your arms in the right placement. Armor makes that rough, so you have to learn how to move an armor before you can do that. And that's how I've always justified armor and wizards. Yeah, and I guess with the 5e, and I, I'm, you know, what, 5e's have only been out, what, six, seven years now? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it is some, um, there are some rules where it can interfere for multi-classing. Yeah. Uh, with the exception of things like uh, elven chain mail or, yeah. or elven mail. Um, but, uh, you know, I kind of like the idea of, um, well, of a... A dwarf's spellcaster tank. Yeah, yeah. You know, and and if you want to pay, play a sort of, du especially a dwarf tank. Yeah. Dwarf paladins make a really good, and I know that huh. the paladin spells are not like undocumented spells like everything else. Yeah. I mean, I were like um, wizards or, but I still think that. You know, paladins cast spells. They call them spells. Sure. Yeah. 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 I, I I really kind of feel like clerical stuff should be called prayers. Like I mean, like back in the old days, it felt like uh, clerics and paladins uh, prayed for stuff, and wizards and magic user types like that, like they they cast spells. Or maybe that was just my, my, my interpretation, like how I DM'd. But yeah, no, I always referred to it. But also, anyway. Yes, yeah. the clerics and paladins and druids pull, pull upon some sort of divine. Yeah. 
even if it's just the energy of nature to manipulate the physical material universe uh-huh. where and, and to also you know who you can add to that now warlocks yeah yeah warlocks appeal to a higher not a god but a higher entity than they are yeah where wizards and sorcerers for some reason basically break the laws of physics in the universe by either innate ability or specialized education. All right. So I sound like the ultimate like boring lawyer. No, 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 not at all, so, not at all. Uh, my next question then is like, okay, so if that's what that's about, what about rituals? So I haven't ever seen a ritual played in the game, and that's got to be. I mean, I know the rules. I've seen it. But I've never had one of my players, or never as a player, done that. Which, it seems to me, you could run entire campaigns, if not adventures, on rituals. Yeah. I've just never seen anyone interested in doing it. Okay. All right. Yeah, um, no. But I'll tell you what is a really good sort of variation on that. Yeah. And I know this is D&D, but, you know, GURPS has all its regular magic. And then they created spirit magic. Which is for like different games such as voodoo uh-huh. and spirit. Yeah. Uh, and I kind of I think that's a very good parallel between the difference of the two. Cool. Yeah. 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 No, I agree. I agree. So, one last thing I want to talk about before we uh, take off: schools of magic. Like. So like. Actual school schools or types of magic? No, uh, schools of magic. Ab- abjuration, conjuration, oh. divination, enchantment, evocation, necromancy. illusion, necromancy, and transmutation. And, I again, there's definitely rules designed for specializing... And I kind of like the idea of, you know, specializing. Oh, sure. I I use it in other systems. Almost everyone I know, they don't look at that. They go, oh, this spell's cool. I want to do this. Yeah. And so most, every player that I've ever worked with, it's kind of mix and match. But there is these incredible, if there's not a, there's incredible opportunity for role playing. Even if it's not this advantage game mechanics wise. Uh Uh-huh. I think it gives you this incredible opportunity for for um, role-playing. Okay, gotcha. and, and most people I've known, instead of taking advantage, if they're, they're you know, I'm a necromancer. Yeah. Well, they pick a couple of necromancer spells, but they fall back on fireball. Yeah. Yeah, no, no. Uh, necromancy... Uh, it, Makes makes me miss the uh, old older editions where it's like you had like necromancy was opposed to like evocation I believe it was and it's like you couldn't as a necromancer cast fireball it's like why cast fireball when you can raise the dead was like pretty much like my mantra in middle school yeah and and I'm not gonna say that most players ignore it sure but yeah. most players at least that i play with consider it a mix and match yeah they are they are utilitarians instead of specialists sure Th- they want as much base 
and the, the people that I've seen, and I realize there are rules to to give you advantages on certain types of spells. Yeah. Uh, but al- almost everybody I've ever played with have only used that as sort of a, a role-playing aspect. Sure, sure. Yeah, yeah. And not just necromancy, but uh, this next part that I want to talk of is kind of a uh, something that like a lot of people used to do with necromancers is multi-classing in being a cleric and as a mage, uh, cleric mage, uh, and and so or wizard as as we call them now. And the cool thing I think of is like in current editions, you can be a cleric wizard of like a death god and a necromancer or you can be some sort of like illusionist who uh is a god of trickery you can you know mix and match uh some like uh you know it's like oh yeah no i am a i i i I worship a god of travel and i'm an abjurist and it's like oh okay well that's cool it's like yeah (laughs) Definitely, and again, the one thing, and it's been obviously editions before, Yeah. but one of the big advantages to this is that you're going to get subclass, yeah. and you're going to get domain. Yeah. And, and so, you could pick domain if, you know, you want to be, I mean, it's going to slow you down, you're going to have a lot of spells. Yeah. But you're gonna end up having a lot of first and second level spells because you're gonna have first level cleric, first level, you know, uh, wizard or yeah. whatever. So it's it's gonna sort of slow you down to get the top ones. But you could be like a tempest who wizard who throws around lightning bolts. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You could be a tempest wizard who throws around around lightning bolts, but also is an uh, evocationist who is like an elemental evocationalist who just spo- uh, focuses on lightning. I don't know. I, I, I like that kind of thing. I don't know. It's, it's, it's fun. Uh, like and, and super specialization. The, and, and to be honest, yeah. and, and again, this isn't supposed to be historical, and we don't know a lot. Thanks, Roman. Yeah. But we don't know a lot about the real druids. But I would almost seem that the real druids would be maybe closer to um, warlocks and sorcerers slash druid multi-classing okay. than druids out the box. Yeah. Um, and that leads to sort of the ultimate, you've got to have a good story why, but druid slash cleric. Yeah. And yeah. I think there are some deities out there that it works mainly being the Celtic ones. Yeah. No, I can imagine a Druish slash cleric as someone who grows up on the borderlands is like, I need to be able to speak to my people, and my people, uh, some of them live in a small town, and some of them live in the wilds, and I need to be able to communicate with everyone. And that's why I'm a cleric of nature, and I am also a druid. And the other combo I see is um, Druid, Warlock, a Drulok. Yeah. But 
Warlock of the Fae. Nice. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. Or or Druid Celestial Warlock. Yeah. And it's a unicorn. Or some sort of exalted animal. Yeah. 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 No, I feel like there's a lot of, like, kind of, like, weird, fun, cool combinations of multi-classing, race features that you can combine to make all kinds of stuff, background stuff, feats. Uh, you can really mix and match with magic users these days, as opposed to when I was a youngin and Dave was young, that you just pretty much had kind of like, well, you're Merlin, or, or, or you're, uh, 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 what's-his-face from Lord of the Rings in The Hobbit, Gandalf. That's his name. But, yeah. Yes, or... Oh, and, and Ralph. I don't know if you heard, but Ralph agrees with you. Yeah, and sort of, and again, just because I'm that historian... Yeah. You know, the first... I mean, I know they toyed with Mystic and everything. Yeah. But the first real magic class separate not druid not paladin uh not you know cleric magic user was the illusionist oh yeah yeah which was you know in 180 and it was basically the same character you just got to choose from more powerful illusion spells yeah and you can still do that you just concentrate you know you're a sorcerer or a wizard sure or a warlock and just concentrate on illusionary spells yeah I really liked in past uh, past editions when uh, your intelligence or your wisdom meant how many extra spells you got, which I, I think is something that's disappeared. But yeah, and and absolutely, that was one of my favorite things, and I like to calculate it, but it yeah. it was abused. Oh yeah, yeah, no, no, I abused it, and I I allow it as a house rule if anyone remembers that it's a house rule. So. <laughs> If your intelligence is high enough, or wisdom is high enough to remember the house rules, then you get extra spells. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> Alright, well that's magic from People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Uh, we're going to talk more about Dungeons and Dragons next week and all season long. Uh, let's see, if my notes are correct, we're going to be talking about magic items. Hey Dave, before we take off into that cool night, do you have a favorite school of magic? I think everyone knows what mine is, but what's yours? So, I, I don't particularly. I, I'm not a big fan. I have a least favorite. Oh, what's your least favorite? My least favorite is necromancy. Boo! And, and is that your favorite? That is my favorite. And so my least favorite, and, and, and first of all, it's sort of my upbringing type thing. But the other thing is, with your exception of you, yeah, I think necromancy tends to breed edgelord characters, if not players. Yeah, no, I tend to create a lot of, like, gray and white necromancy and, like, actual, like, dread lords and, like, you know, really kind of, like, include black guard or, like, anti-paladins and it's like there is a lich who's like convincing other people to like give up on life and serve them and it's just kind of like i don't know it's i think necromancy 
isn't the coolest school for D&D. For me, I love Evocation, but as a dungeon master, Necromancy is amazing. My least favorite, and the one that I think is the biggest cheat, is Illusion. And it's like, oh man, Illusion is way too easy. It's like way too easy to break all the time. It's like um, Enchantment, people have got stuff against Enchantment. Divination, I don't know, that stuff's fun, but it's also rough on the DM. Conjuration. It's, it, it's also, yeah, it's also not a very combative. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are some combat divinations, but not a lot. Con conjuration is easy. Uh, transmutation feels easy. And necromancy is like, you're either like a weird good guy or like a bad, bad guy. And illusion just feels like, ooh, I'm a trickster. Ooh, I'm going to make you fall off a cliff. Ooh, I just made it so you can't see. And it's like, oh, I hate illusionists on a personal level. <laughs> so it kind of muddies my uh, my opinion. So, anyway. <laughs> All right, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to us uh, yammer about the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos and a little bit about Dungeons and Dragons. Let's see. Next week we are talking about I said magic items, but we're also going to be bring, talking about the Bringer of Pests and the Crawling Mist, which I think are two really cool ones. So yes. so, so does Ralph. And uh, Dave, do you have anything to say before we head off into that night? No, other than, you know, thank you for everybody listening and hopefully uh We'll be talking to you next week. Yeah, all right. Couldn't have said it better myself. All right. Thank you, everyone, and goodbye. Bye. People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos was recorded all over the state of Oregon this month. Uh, join us next week when we'll be talking about stuff. Uh, edited and written by David Heath and D.B. Spitzer. Uh, music by D.B. Spitzer, wardrobe by Autonomy 9000. Thank you, well, Anne. In my case, goodwill. Goodwill. Uh, thank you so much for listening, and we will talk to you in, in the future. All right, bye. Think everything, 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 everything. Think everything, 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 everything. And also remember, check the show notes, click those links, and find out how you can support the show. We've got a Patreon. We've got a direct link to PayPal. We've got sponsors that you can buy. Donner is having some really good deals right now. And also, I would have to say, check out Copper Cow Coffee. And, uh... There's a Stone Ground chocolate company in there that you should check out called Taza. Uh, Stone Ground in Lovecraft Country. And, uh, yeah, they've got some really good flavors. They don't use dairy. They use uh, vegetable-based milk instead, so mm. it's vegan. Taza Chocolates, Somerset, Massachusetts. Uh, we've also got stuff from Curvy Girl. We've got... Golden Goat CBD gummies and uh, other stuff. Um, and uh, yeah, if you're looking for a way to advertise on your website, on your podcast, 
whatever your projects are, your YouTube page, uh, why not go to Share a Sale? That's where I get all my sponsors from and pass the savings on to you. You can find that. You can advertise your projects. You can advertise your website, your products, any of that stuff. So check out the show notes. And Dave and I will see you next time. Anything you want to say before we uh, head out into that night again? I said that before, but... Yeah. Good night. Bye. Bye, everyone. All music by D.B. Spitzer. You're listening to KZOM, Oleander Public Radio.